Go ahead and be seated, please, and take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 73. While you're turning there, I would like to extend uh, our welcome on behalf of our congregation here to the Great Western Presbytery and uh, those who are visiting with us as well. It's a great joy for us to host this occasion. We've been looking forward to it, and we trust that uh, as you're here, if there's anything that uh, you need uh, or desire, uh, please let us know. Don't hesitate. We'll do our best to meet whatever need or desire that you have. So with that, uh, Psalm 73 It's a psalm of Asaph. Please give attention to God's precious and holy word. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You shall put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord Yahweh my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Amen. God adds his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. So as I was thinking about this message today, I, I primarily, well, at least I began primarily thinking of the church planters in our midst, of which we have um, a, a fair number, which is a wonderful thing to say. Delighted to uh, to have that occasion uh, be true. However, what I'm going to say here, as I think those of you that are in established ministries and maybe even have been there for a long time, this may be even more 
consequential to you because you've had longer to experience some of the things that we're going to talk about here. Now, when we're converted, lots of things change, right? Our hearts change, our priorities in life change, the, the very structure of our lives change. So let me ask you, uh, is anyone here rich? Relatively rich. Now, don't get spiritual on me just yet. <laughs> Anyone here enduring suffering? Hmm. You can go ahead and get spiritual on that if you want. Anyone here ever regret? Now listen to me carefully and don't be too quick to answer this. Anyone here ever regret that your life belongs to Christ and that you're committed? to the, his ministry. And when you feel that way, what do you turn to or who do you turn to for relief? Do you turn to personal devotion? Do you turn to prayer? I know you don't turn to the advice of media preachers. Maybe it's reading lots of books though. Some of you, I know that's true. Sometimes intense inner reflection perhaps, and there's a place for that, of course. I think it's probably fair to say that unless you are really extraordinary, there are times in your ministries when you wonder, what in the world am I doing? And have I made the right choice? And is the Lord really there? And is this going to end well or not? Because the circumstances that we find ourselves in the ministry very often are discouraging. And Asaf, I think, ably captures that truth here in Psalm 73. But what Asaf is going to encourage us here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to remember is that the key to having no regrets, no doubts about your faith, no doubts about your, your, your ministry as you work under the power of God is fellowship with God, and particularly in this psalm, it's fellowship with God in His sanctuary. Because the fact is, if you look at verse 2, this, I, I, perhaps it's just me, but I suspect it's not. My feet had almost stumbled and my steps had nearly slipped. Why? Because Asaph was thinking about the wicked and beginning to envy them a little bit. Now we all recognize that this picture of the wicked doesn't necessarily mean that every wicked person out there is rolling in money, as it describes fat and sleek. Some of us don't really want that applied to us. Um, so he's speaking generally, though, about this wicked world system that seems to prosper all around us. We're pastors and elders and, and lay people who are, who are part of a, a small, as far as the world's concerned, insignificant denomination that as far as the world's concerned is out of touch with modernity, political correctness, and all the rest that goes with that. And we look around and we see those that 
to our eyes anyway, and I don't want to mean that we should just be judgmental about everybody, but at least from our perspective, it seems that there's compromise going on with either uh, just out-and-out wickedness or just cutting corners on the things that God says in His Word that we should do. And we're trying to be careful, and we're struggling because our churches are small and our budgets are strained, and we wonder what's going to happen when we die and can't be here anymore. All of that kind of stuff. Well, it seems that those that don't care about that stuff, they're just happy as can be. They're just doing whatever. And saying, praise God for this, we're just doing all this, but it has nothing to, when it's not what we see in the scriptures should be done. And they just blissfully go on. And we wonder, what is the point? My, my father, when he was alive, we used to joke, uh, when it, this was when we were down at St. Helens now let's get who's church we used to joke about when we were really tiny and trying to grow we thought you know what if we change the name outside to like some evangelical something or other uh, or maybe charismatic or something let's get the numbers up and then we can swap the name on them after that <laughs> finding that there might be some slight ethical problem with that we never did that but there's a temptation there to cut corners so that you want to keep going. You want it to flourish. You want your work to grow, don't you? Because it seems like the wicked do have it easy in this life, but if we envy the wicked, we will slip. We will stumble. Verses 3 through 12 describe this envy. Asaph says, I was envy. Envious of the arrogant, saw the prosperity. They, they, they just got it easy. But way back in the late 90s, the Levi's, Levi Strauss had a, uh, a particular little brand line going in their jeans called um, uh, Hard Jeans. Anybody remember that? Anyway, they had an advertising campaign that was pretty cheeky. They advertised them as Armageddon tough. And the ad was basically, yeah, yeah, the ad was basically all of this disaster going around them and the guys wearing the jeans are going, well, what's all the fuss about? <laughs> the wicked are in, in, they're oblivious to God's wrath. And they just go on Eagerly drinking the cup of judgment. That's uh, if you look in chapter in seventy five eight. In the hand of, the, of Yahweh, there's a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and He pours from it. And all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. They'll just take it in. The judgment they're heaping up to themselves, but it seems that that judgment's far off, and so they have it easy now. And as God, as a consequence of that. You and I can feel cheated by God. That's what Asaf is saying in verses 13 and 14. All in vain I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. For church planners that are counting every head and wondering why that person that was here last week is not here this week, 
Why in spite of everything that you've done for someone, they leave. And, it, and often as they leave, they're doing so with rebukes and telling you how wrong they are and that's why they're leaving. Well, how wrong you are and that's why they're leaving. And it hurts. And you, you really sometimes just kind of want to throw out and say, I don't need this. And you wonder, Lord, why, why did you put me here? Why, are you, why did you call me out of, out of darkness into this? And we can have our pity parties, can't we? And Asaf describes that as uh, <clears throat> basically his peace and joy, as long as he's focusing on those things, is gone. But he's still like, no, I've got to put on a brave face. Verse 15, if I'd said, I will speak thus, if I talk this way, this is not the, I realize this is not the sort of, of, of message that we generally like to hear and think about. For exactly this reason, Asav says, if I had talked this way, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. I, I would have discouraged everybody. And I don't want to do that. But at the end of it, verse 16, he says, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. If you stop there, you will be filled with regrets and sorrows and doubts. It's no wonder that thousands of pastors leave the ministry every year, often from discouragement, disillusionment, and doubt. So what's the solution? I love the switch that gets turned in this psalm. You may have noticed at the end of verse 16, it didn't end with a period. It ended with a comma. The sentence wasn't over. I thought how to understand this. It seemed to me a wearisome task until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Now, this word sanctuary is not a mysterious one to us. It's, it just refers to a sacred place. And in the Old Testament, it is the place where God dwells and particularly where he dwells with his people. And therefore, it is a holy place. And... Of course, the immediate referent in the mind of those reading this would have been thinking about the tabernacle or the temple uh, eventually. But it's not linked just to a building, is it? It's where God's people are gathered, where he's in the midst of his people, whether they've got four walls or not. The very thing, church planner and seasoned pastor, that can, all, can be the source of so much discouragement and, and sorrow is actually the place where we need to go. Years ago, when I was uh, in, in uh, St. Helens, he used to go into Portland and uh, sang with a, a group there. And we'd go, we'd, many of the folks in that choir were more on the liberal side put it that way. <laughs> I remember going to a rehearsal one time and I recognized one of the cars 
Um, not surprisingly, it was a Volvo 240 wagon. Those of you Pacific Northwest know the general demographic that drives Volvo 240 wagons. On the back of it was a bumper sticker that said, Lord, deliver me from your followers. And I remember as I walked by, I don't remember any particular details or, or who might have engendered this thought at the time, but I do remember thinking, you know, sometimes I can appreciate that prayer. <laughs> but it is when we come into the presence of God and His people where we come face to face with Him and can find our greatest encouragement in the place that, and it seems counterintuitive because we're laboring among those who, like us, are imperfect. And we struggle and we have our strains and, and we have our failings and, we, and all of that contributes sometimes to a mess that we're trying to sort through and don't know how to get out of. And it can be tempting to go, I'm just not going to go to church. You know, I'm going to call in sick. But when we come into the place where God is and where his word is faithfully proclaimed, and you in your study, where you're pouring over his word and coming to grips with what that word says. And then find how to live that out in the midst of the congregation. Then it says, you will discern the end of the wicked and you will no longer be envious. You will no longer have regrets that God has called you to what he has called you. Because the wicked have nothing that endures but judgment. Truly, verse 18, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. They're destroyed in a moment, swept away like a dream. When one awakes, it's gone. The wicked will not last in their wickedness. Psalm 37, verses 1 and 2 says, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. There is no, uh, not only is there no benefit, there's just no point in, in trying to consider, maybe I should cut corners, maybe I should compromise, maybe I shouldn't be so careful about what God's word has to say. Dear brother, stand fast. Because those that do such things will not stand. Rather, take the words of Solomon to heart in Proverbs 23. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of Yahweh always. Our God blesses that purity of, of heart and deed with goodness. Look at verse 1 of this psalm, Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Psalm 37 is worth turning to. I just referred to it just a, a moment ago. This is a, a, I'm not going to try to explain uh, all of these verses, but just kind of want to bounce, bounce from verse to verse here because it's just loaded with understanding uh, the understanding of God's blessing as David recounts how God will not forsake his saints. So verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend 
faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your hearts. Verse 9, the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for Yahweh shall inherit the land. Verse Verses 16 and 17. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but Yahweh upholds the righteous. Verses 23 and 24. The steps of a man are established by Yahweh when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for Yahweh upholds his hand. And then look at verses 39 and 40. The salvation of the righteous is from Yahweh. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. Yahweh helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. What a blessing that we enjoy at the hands of our covenant-making and keeping God. He is good. That word good is the idea of not just being pleasant and agreeable, but it exudes kindness and benevolence. And it doesn't mean that you're never going to have difficulties, but it does mean that in the testing, he will always provide a way of escape. And in the trial, he will never desert you and bless you, even though you may not be able to see how at the time. He pours out his goodness upon you. Back in Psalm 73, we see one of the ways that that goodness is manifested when we look at verses 23 and 24. Nevertheless, Asaph says, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand, speaking to the Lord. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Part of his goodness is just in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of the trial and the challenge and the the, the rebukes and the struggle. He is present. He calms your fears with his very presence. As he said to Moses, who was wondering, Lord, what's, what's happening? Are you, are you with us or not? In Exodus 33, the Lord told Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. That's a promise you can hang your life on. Preacher, elder, layperson. His presence is something the wicked can never know or understand. And part of that comfort that he brings when we come into the sanctuary and we see him at work among his people and we see his his majesty and his power and his goodness and all that is true about him shown forth to us in God's word. We see there his promises and our faith is strengthened. Our faith is strengthened. In 24, uh, also, and then through 26, afterward you will receive me to glory. Who am I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This is about God's promises to his people to never leave them, to never forsake them, to take them to their inheritance and never lose a single soul that belongs to him. And where do we see that most often? Where do we see his promises 
worked out most often. It's in his sanctuary, the place where he dwells, in the midst of his people. And that's why uh, David would say in Psalm 63, 2, I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and glory. Because there we see him in his word revealed for all that he is. And so in Psalm 119, we read great peace of those who love your law and nothing causes them to stumble. <clears throat> Even when it seems that the wicked are flourishing all around us, and we are tempted, and we, we find our footing slippery, and we're prone to being to stumbling if we retreat to the sanctuary and cling to his word and his law, we will not stumble. And then our response is found in verse 28 here. For me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord Yahweh my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. It issues forth, what a contrast from discouragement, from envy, from, from a sense of hopelessness and despair to I will tell of all your works, to praise. What a blessing to have that confidence even when we are struggling with opposition and people leaving and discouragement and struggles of all various kinds, both inward and outward. Rather than abandoning the place where God dwells, let us pour ourselves all the more into it and find there among his people and in his word ever more reasons to praise. The Apostle Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 4.13, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. Beloved, do you believe? Then speak it. Praise Him. Rejoice in the midst of His people. Rejoice in the sanctuary. Regardless of what it seems is happening among the wicked, those that that are working contrary to everything you're trying to do. It seemed to flourish. Their day is coming, a day of judgment. Do not envy them, but cling to your God. When you find yourself regretting your place in Christ because you see the wicked prospering around you, don't think that you can find satisfaction on your own by retreating to a, there's a place and a time to, you know, for the sabbatical or for the time away and a prayer and, and so on. But you will find most encouragement with God among his people. Truly God is good to his people. Fellowship with him in his sanctuary through his word will restore your faith in his faithfulness and give you lips to praise him once again. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. You are so good to us. And yes, in this life, in times, in, and in the ministry, there are times of discouragement, times when we forget to fix our hearts and minds upon you, 
and look only at the circumstances around us and then wonder why we're here and what we're doing. Lord, when we return to you in your word, among your people, and see truly why we're here and doing what we're doing, by your grace, by your commission, by your enabling, and by your design, Lord, there we find comfort and the strength to carry on in this work. Grant us, Lord, your grace to do that by the power of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, we'll come now to the Lord's table.